John chapter 6 tonight is where I'll be at. And uh, before I get started, let me just say once again, thank you to Brother Gravely. And I love this preacher. Oh, yeah, I love this man. And uh, I love this meeting, love this place, love the spirit of the place. And uh, by the time you get to Thursday night, we have shouted and we have cried and we are broke as convicts. And it's just like, I mean, what else do you do now? <laughs> I take as many offers as you want to. I ain't got no money. I'm just broke. I was in the I was in the hotel this morning watching the service, had trying to get, had to get a little bit of work done, and you're taking up an offering, and 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 I we had <laughs> from live streaming. I mean. I can't even watch the live stream without going broke, but uh, <laughs> uh, but it has been it has been wonderful. It's been wonderful. It is really a highlight of the year for me to be able to come. And um, man, we heard a great message on the gospel. Amen. And after that, I thought, shut it down. It's done. It's done. Then Brother Wagner got up here and just lifted Jesus higher and higher and higher. And after that, I thought, shut it down. It is done. It is done. And I'm not going to preach tonight. I'm, I'm going to give you a thought that's been on my heart today, just a thought, and uh, hopefully to try to encourage you. I have been given the assignment of trying to close this out. I have absolutely no idea how that you're supposed to do that. And to be honest with you, we don't want to close, but we all have places that we have to go back to. But it's good to be able to come to a place and for a week just get your spiritual batteries recharged. Amen. I enjoy the preaching. I enjoy the singing. You'll not believe this, but I actually enjoy the fellowship too. Because the fellowship is, is important. Now, I've had a lot of it. I've had a lot of it. I've got enough to last me for a while. But... Uh, but it is, it is good to come and to be reminded that you're not the only one trying to live right and do something for God. But finding old friends and new friends that are on the same page, it just gives you some strength. It has especially encouraged my heart this week as it does every week here to see all of the young people in this meeting. Because I thought I had heard that the youth don't want this kind anymore, that they're all leaving for the Thrive Church down the road or whatever it might be called. In this internet age that we live in, you are exposed to a lot more than I was when I was your age. And there are a lot of pressures on our youth right now to go a different way. We have all the Twitter missionaries who are making a mockery of old time religion and um, some of your friends are abandoning the way that you came up in. But you're here. And I commend you for that. I told you, and I'll probably just give a little bit of a testimony tonight is what I may do. But I told you I was raised in a preacher's home. And I've been in this way all of my life. Glorious heritage. Glorious heritage. And I've never turned my back on it. It bothers me to see young men criticize the faith of their fathers. I'm fine with you going on and being whatever you want to be, but don't spit on the graves of the men who blazed a trail 
for us. So I encourage you young people that are here tonight to keep your heart hot for Jesus and pursue holiness and don't be ashamed of the heritage that you have been handed. I have one verse tonight as my text. I'm taking just a simple thought out of it. It is the Gospel of John chapter 6 and verse 9. There is a lad here. There is a lad here. In the Gospel of John, John records only eight miracles. Seven of them are unique to the Gospel of John. Fewer got fewer miracles than any other Gospel writer. The only miracle that John records that's found in the other Gospels is the feeding of the 5,000. By the way, that is the only miracle that is found in all four Gospels, is the feeding of the 5,000. It is the only miracle found in the Gospel of John that is found elsewhere in the other Gospels. And every child in Sunday school has heard this story a hundred times. There's not a single person in this room of age that does not know the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Some would say that it was the greatest miracle that Jesus performed in terms of sheer mass. There is a similar miracle feeding of the 4,000, but 5,000 is more than 4,000. Of course, the text says that there was 5,000 men, and so we extrapolate that and say, you know, there could have been as many as 15, 20. I heard a man the other day say there could have been as many as 50,000 people there. I don't think the story actually needs any help, to be honest with you, because 5,000 is it's a lot. I sat in the hotel lobby this morning early and I thought, you know, if I was to outline this passage, you could outline it like this. There are the people that Christ pitied and there is the need that he noticed and there is the meal that he multiplied. The story is about a little lad that had a light lunch. He gave it to a loving Lord. And when you do that, there's always lots of leftovers. All four gospel writers tell the story. But when John tells the story, he gives you a detail that is not found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There is a lad here. A Sunday school teacher has never told this story without including the detail that it was a little lad that gave his lunch to the Lord Jesus and the only writer that tells you that is John. All of the disciples, all of the gospels say, we have here five loaves and two barley fishes, two, two, five, two, five loaves and two fishes, but they don't tell you where it came from. But in five words, there is a lad here. And it is the only record that you have of it. Were it not for those five words, we would not know where Jesus got those fish sandwiches from. Five words. He's never mentioned again in the story. Five words. And every person in this room knows who he is. There is a lad here. Somewhere in this room tonight. It's been stuck in my mind all day. 
as I've watched these young people here all day long. And I believe for the children, the teenagers, even the 20-year-olds, I, I believe that you love God. And I believe that you want Him to use your life. By the end of the week, we've given everything away. We have come to the altar a hundred times. I've confessed things that I didn't even do. I've cried and I've shouted. And what happens in a meeting like this is God lights a fire in your soul. And you want that fire to keep burning even when Jubilee is over. And I want to tell you tonight that the fire doesn't have to go out when we go home. Don't, don't, don't be a flash in a pan kind of Christian. Don't, don't be the kind of Christian who, who, who just shouts only in camp meeting. You can go back home to whatever situation you are in and you can have the same fire of God burning your soul back there as you do here. If you can only weep over the songs here, but you can't worship God back home, something is missing. You've heard great preaching this week, but I can hear good preaching tomorrow and next week on my iPhone. I, I can listen to preaching all day long and I hope that you'll listen to it next week as you did this week. I, I have entered into worship in the presence of the Lord in these days. But I don't have to be with you. I don't have to have the Reigns family in order to see, to worship. I, I can worship God tomorrow. And I want the fire that God has set in my heart this week, I want it to burn every day. I told you the other night that I got saved when I was just a child, seven years old, and I surrendered to preach at an early age, eight years old. Watch night service, December the 31st, 1977, in a little Baptist church in Pace, Florida. There was a man named Don Sessions that was the pastor. That night, Brother Homer Smith was preaching. And sometime that night before midnight, before midnight, they gave an invitation. As an eight-year-old boy, I walked the aisle and I knelt at an altar right there and I gave all of my life to all of you. From a very early age, I had a very simple childlike burning in my heart for God to use me. You have to understand, I was not special in any way. I had no talents. I was not a great student. Had a horrible speech impediment. Had to go speech therapy. But my heart burned for God to use me. And every time that a missionary would come through and present his field, I'd surrender to it. I've surrendered every field from Poland to the Philippines. I wasn't called, but I was just volunteering. We weren't in any particular camp of IFB, and so I grew up hearing preachers that was of different fellowships. So I heard Harold Seitler, and I heard Curtis Hudson. I heard Jack Hiles, I heard Billy Kelly. And my dad would often take us to meetings where great men of God were preaching in. My dad had a little thing when, when we were kids is he would have preachers put their hands on his children and ask God to touch them. I have had men like Ed Ballou and Don Green and Jack Wood and Harold Seitler and Tom Malone. I've had those men place their hands on me as I was a baby and as a child and ask God to use me. As a child, I had a cassette player, and every night I would listen to preaching tapes. We weren't raised on television, and so I devoured preaching. I went to sleep every night, every night, 
to the sound of my hero preaching on some cassette tape. And God was lighting a fire in my heart. As a child and as a teenager, I begged for places to preach. Preached anywhere. But who wants to hear a child preach? The church that my dad pastored, the ladies had a monthly ladies fellowship. They would meet in a different home and they would have a little snack and a little whatever they did, but they always had to have a devotion. I was the only preacher boy in our church at that time. And so that was a monthly appointment for me. I would go to the ladies' monthly fellowship with my mom and I would sit out on the porch. I didn't want to be into the ladies' fellowship. But whenever it was time for the devotion, they would call for me and I would come in and for 10 or 15 minutes and I would preach to the ladies and then I'd go back out on the porch and wait till it's time to go home. There was a little nursing home in Pink Hill, North Carolina. It really wasn't a nursing home. It was a lady that had opened up her home and she was taking care of five or six other ladies and I think it had something to do with the state. And, and so, so it's a lady and she's taking care of five or six other ladies. And our, our Sunday school every month would go down there once a month and we would sing and I was the only preacher boy and so I would get to preach. And I would take my Bible and I would lay it on that big television and there's these six or seven ladies and I preached on, on, on dancing and smoking and drinking and going to the mission field and, and I just preached on everything. And God was lighting a fire in my heart. As a child, I would go out to the tobacco barns and I would go in and I would preach to the pigeons and the rafters. And I would go down to the pond way below our house and I would preach to the water moccasins in the pond. I'd go into the woods at daylight with my shotgun to go squirrel hunting. And most of the time I end up sitting on a stump dreaming of being a preacher. And God was lighting a fire in my heart. And there is a lad here whose heart burns with a desire for God to use you. You love God. You love the old time way. You're not drawn to the critics of the contemporary. You want to just stay right here on this mountain and build a tent and stay with God. You've seen enough of the glory of God to know that you want to see more. Your heart is pure and it is fixed on Jesus. Maybe you're called to preach. Maybe you feel the draw of the mission field. Maybe a young lady that all you want to do is marry a godly man and have children and grow them up in a godly way. Maybe in the ministry, maybe just in a church worshiping God and building a Christian home. But there is a lad here. There is a lad here who has nothing but a small lunch. I think that the disciples began spreading the word that we, we, we need some food. A large crowd is gathered on the mountainside and nobody has thought of what we're doing for a meal. And so they began to pass, spread the word. Excuse me, but did anybody think to bring any food? We're going to pass an offering plate. We need to take up a collection. We've got to go into town and buy some bread. But do, do, does anybody have some food? There's a great need, and for some reason there is a little boy. He has five loaves and two fishes, but, but what are they among so many? And I think that in his heart, he probably, he probably wishes, I, I sure wish I had more. I wish that my mama had packed me a bigger lunch today, but all that I have is enough for me. Barley loaves is a poor man's bread. The fish were probably like sardines that you would put between crackers. It's really just a few hard rolls and sardines. And for a fleeting moment, he thinks, I would give this to Jesus, but it isn't much. And I really think Jesus could do a whole lot with this. They would laugh at me if I 
offered my lunch to Jesus. This is not going to do the job. So little lad, wish all that you want to, but all that you have is five loaves and two fishes. And there is a lad here that you'd give your life to Jesus. But why would he want it? What could he possibly do with your life? You'll never be a Justin Cooper. You'll never preach like Tim Green. You'll never be a Ricky Gravely. You'd love to be a great missionary. But to be truthful, your life consists of loaves and fishes. You said that you were called to preach, but nobody took it seriously. You tried to preach one time, and it was a flop. They let you sing in the youth choir, but they're not going to put you in a trio because you're average. You're not the most talented. You're not the most likely to succeed. There is nothing special about you that makes you stand out. And you can dream all that you want to doing great exploits for God. And your heart can burn all that it wants to. But the truth be told is that all that you have is a little lunch. But it's plain to see that Jesus needs the talented. That Jesus needs the orator. That Jesus needs the one that has natural ability. And really, it's going to take a whole lot more than what you have to reach the world. And you probably would just be in the way. Try to get the disciples' attention. They don't have time for somebody like you. They've got to solve the big problems of the day. And so you just need to sit down and let the talented, let the special ones, let the ones with potential lead the way. There is a lad here and all that you have is a little lunch. But there was a lad here. You'd give it all to Jesus. I don't know if he volunteered or if one of the disciples asked for it. But somehow it got into the hands of the Lord. And what impresses me about it most is that he gave it all. Because little boys aren't prone to do that. They're prone to break off a piece for you and save the biggest piece for themselves. And when he hands his lunch to Andrew to give to Jesus, he doesn't know if anything is coming back to him or not. Little boys tend to get hungry quickly, but he just gave it all to Jesus. And if there's nothing that comes back onto him, if, if Jesus fails, then everybody's hungry, including him. It ain't much, but I give it all. In the mid-1800s, there was a a man named Jepson Van Deventer was born on a farm in Michigan. Graduated from Hillsdale College. He was an art, he was an artist. Graduated with an art degree and um, was making a money and lucrative career with art. He was a musician, very talented. But he began to feel the call for ministry. But at the same time, his art career is taking off. It looked like that he had the ability to make a name for himself, to make some money, certainly more than going into the ministry. For about five years, Judson Van Deventer struggled. My career, my dreams, to give all of that up for the ministry. And one night, finally, he surrendered it. Amen. And he sat down and he wrote, all to Jesus, I surrender. All to him. I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. There is a lad here. 
you don't have much to give. But if Jesus would have it, you'd give it all. You've been on the altar a hundred times. And you've said, Jesus, this is all I have. But if you can use it, I give it all to you. I'll be a preacher or I'll be a postman. I'll go to the mission field or I'll stay right here. I have plans, but if you have other plans, we'll go with your plans. As a girl, you've been on the altar and you said, Lord, it's me again. I told you last night that I gave you my life, but I'm doing it again tonight. Would you please use my life? I give you everything that I have. There was a lad here. All you have is a little lunch. You'd give it all to Jesus. And there is a lad here who will witness the power of Christ. The beauty of growing up in this way and in a church like we grow in. is You see God move in a supernatural way. And when you see God's power in other people's lives, it gives you a hunger and a hope that maybe you could experience the same thing. And the greatest thing that God can do for you as a young person is to give you a keen sense of your weakness and your inability because when it is you are weak, then God can show his strength through you. I tell my young preachers that the best thing that can ever happen to you is for you to fall flat on your face when you preach. Walk out of the pulpit embarrassed that you did such a poor job and know you are nothing without the supernatural touch of God. Natural ability is a curse to a young man because he depends upon that natural ability. If he has the gift of gab and he can fluff and, and, and his way through, then he doesn't study and he doesn't pray. And it would better to be a bumbling, stumbling preacher that weeps for God to help you because then you might get the power of God on your life. I, I, I say to every young preacher here, I say to every young man, I, I say to every young lady here that you can know the touch of God on your life and you can walk with him and you can see him answer your prayers and you can live with an anointing on your life. And if God places a responsibility on you that is too great for your frail frame, he can endue you with power beyond human understanding and he knows your insecurities and he knows your insufficiencies and he delights in showing himself mighty on your behalf as a young man I I never went through a rebellious stage I, I never got away from my calling I wasn't better than anybody else there were some in our youth group in Christian school who were borderline Christian I was the fuddy dud but God protected me from those influences and as I look back on those years I believe I don't say this for any glory but I believe that God touched me. I've known God. And I walked with him. I felt his power. I've known his anointing was on my life. God has placed upon me responsibility too great for me. But he's endued me with a power that has sustained me. I claim no glory for it. I boast not of myself. I only tell you what God has done. And I have felt his touch. I have experienced his presence. I have walked in his power. And I believe tonight that you desire for God to use you. But you'll never be used to God without the anointing of God. You must have God come upon you and place the unexplainable in your heart. There must be a passion for God. 
There must be a fire burning inside of you that will not be quenched. You must know that God has placed his hand upon you and called you out and chose you for himself. Do you want God's anointing? Do you want him in your life more than anything? I tell you that it begins at the altar of surrender and it ends at the altar of consecration. And if you'll spend a night in prayer weeping until you literally cannot cry any longer. And if you'll go into the woods and if you'll scream into the heavens, God, you have to use me. If you'll spend your life on an altar begging God to use you. If you'll get so radically serious with God that you cleanse your life of anything that could possibly hinder you, then God will anoint you and he'll put his touch on your life and you'll never be the same and it won't be you but it'll be the spirit of God inside of you and you won't struggle with right and wrong and you won't wrestle with the will of God and there won't be any divided heart but there'll be peace is what there'll be where is the young preacher that burns in his heart to know God prays at night in the early hours of the morning begging for the power of God where is the teenager who heart literally burns begging for God to touch him I say, if you give it all to Jesus, you will know the power of God. There is a lad here who refuses to let the critics stop him. There's two disciples in the story, Andrew, Peter. Everything they say is negative. Everything. Five loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many? Can't feed all these people with that. That's not enough. I mean, Jesus, have you looked at this crowd? Shall we buy bread that all these may eat? 200 penny worth is not sufficient. Philip gets a treasury support from Judas, bad. Offerings have been down. Treasury is low. We have 200 pence in the bag. I don't know how much 200 pence is, but obviously it is not enough to feed this crowd. It's not even enough to give just a little bit. Philip gets his calculator out. I, I don't know where Jesus gets these ideas from. How in the world does he think we're going to afford this money? It doesn't just grow on trees. I mean, what are we going to do? I mean, I'm for feeding folks, but this is just costing too much money. There's a lad here. Five part of those two small fishes. But what are they among so many? I don't want to read between the lines here, but I'm not seeing a whole lot of encouragement for the boy. I mean, Andrew just had to say, what are they among so many? I, I, I don't have to tell you that there are voices out there telling you what you don't want to do with your life. I, I don't give a voice to Twitter and Facebook and, 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 and I'm not coming down off the wall and leaving to work. But you know that they're there and some of you are listening to them. And if you'll keep on following them and keep on liking them and keep on tweeting them, you will soon be one, be one of them. But, but, but I, 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 I want to speak to the young man or the young lady that is not listening to the critic. And, and I, I, I want to be the preacher that you hear in your voice that goes away and telling you that there is somebody cheering you on in your corner and don't let Philip and Andrew talk you out of it. Do I have time to do, do I have time to do, just real, just real quick. I was reading this morning in my Bible in Numbers chapter 10 about Nadab and Abihu that came to the altar of God with strange fire. What they're supposed to do is they're supposed to take this pan, go to the altar where there's a fire burning, take some fire embers out of that, put it in the pan, put incense in that, and offer that to God. This is what they did. We don't need to get that fire off of that altar. We're just going to bring fire from somewhere, just another fire. It's fire, but we're going to bring strange 
strange fire somewhere else. I'm going to burn the incense today. And for that, God killed them. Well, why would he kill them for that? What's wrong with that fire? If you back up the chapter before, Numbers chapter 9, consecrating Aaron, the high priest, they take the brazen altar and they put a sacrifice on the altar. And the last verse of chapter 9 says, there came a fire down from the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering. The fire that was on that altar started by God. That was God's fire is what that was. And Leviticus chapter 6 says that the fire shall never be burning on the altar and it shall never go out. The fire that God started, don't put that fire out. You let that fire keep on a burning. I don't know how they did it, but for years and years and years and years of traveling around that fire there was an ember that was still burning that's the fire that God started that is a supernatural fire and if God has started a fire in your heart don't let it go out if there is a supernatural burning in your heart then you better just let it burn and don't look for a strange fire and there's a lot of people that want to put the fire out and tell you it doesn't matter where the fire comes from it does matter does matter. I'm done. There is a lad here. There's a lad here. Somewhere. And all that you have is a little lunch. That's all you got. But if Jesus would have it, you'd give it all to him. And you'll surrender your life to him. And you'll see the power of God in your life. And the critics will bounce off of you and you're not listening to them. And there is a lad here, there is a lad here whom God will use to feed a multitude. I don't know where, but somewhere in this building there's a young stinning balloon. I don't know where, but somewhere in this building there's a young Tim Green. I don't know where. Somewhere in this building, there's a child that God already has placed his hand upon. He'll be a great missionary. Samuel comes to Jesse's house looking for the next king. All that he finds are boys. When David comes by as the last resort, Samuel saw a child. But God saw a king. And all we see are children. But God sees missionaries pastors, dedicated laymen. God still chooses children to become kings. Five words. And that's all. And what he did really was not that great. But it was all that he had. You never read about him before. You'll never read about him after. But in five words... He gave everything that he had. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about him. Truth be told, Jesus didn't need his lunch. If he had held on to it, Jesus would have found another way. Surely you don't think five barley loaves and two fishes was a help to Jesus. But for the last 2,000 years, you've never told the story without telling about him. You have heard it told that it was Jesus that fed a multitude with a little lad's lunch. And I believe tonight that God can use you. I believe that God wants to fill you.
pour his power onto you. God wants to make you and mold you into a vessel of honor. I believe that he has a call in ministry, a purpose for your life. And this week he has set a fire in your heart. Don't let it go out. It could be a person, Brother Daniel, play for me. There could be a young person here who says, I used to have the touch of God. I used to have the dreams. But I messed up and God can't use me now. But if you'll come broken and pleading, the grace of God is so much greater than your sin. You can fall, but you'll never fall outside of the reach of the grace of God. Oh God, give us young people with a heart that hungers for you. Young men that will meditate on you and listen to preaching and beg for your touch and young preachers who despair that you may not use them. Young ladies who want the power of God more than they want a boyfriend who says, I want you. I want your touch. And I want your power. And I want your anointing. You can change the world, but you have to have the hand of God in your life. Mama, Daddy, if you've got a young person on this altar, you ought to come. You ought to come. Wrap your arms around them. Beg God to use them. Beg God to touch them. Would you come today? Would you come?